0: Well, this morning we're finishing up uh, our global outreach. We normally start on this Sunday, but we had Don Butera with us last month, if you remember. So Don was kind of the kickoff to our global outreach. And uh, so he spoke then. And so I'm going to finish up our Colossians series actually today. We're going to do the last message in our series on who is Jesus. And we're going to finish that up today. Let me start off with a question. How many of you that are driving, how many of you remember your first car? Remember what your first car was? Yeah, yeah. How many of you had an awesome, great first car? Yeah, a lot of hands, all right. How many of you got your first car given to you? A few of you, a few of us, me too, yeah. How many of you are hoping one day to get your first car? A couple of those, yeah, yeah, there we go, there you go, honest. Oh, My first car was a 1978 Pontiac Catalina. Yeah, it's a beaut, right? Real chrome bumpers? Yeah. That's not the exact car. I couldn't dig out a picture because it's not on my phone of uh, what it exactly was. It was a little darker blue than that, but that's pretty close to what it looked like right there. It was given to me by one of my uncles, and I was grateful for it. He, uh, he gave it to me and I was about 16 and I was thankful for it, got to work on it. But some of you who are younger may be looking at that and thinking, what on earth did you do with a car that big or why would you need a car that big? So I thought I'd show you a picture of the inside so you could see that we felt the need back then to carry two sofas with us wherever we went, <laughs> one in the front and one in the back. Um, that we had a couch with us all the time. You could actually fit one in the trunk, too, if you wanted. Uh, there was plenty of room there. Uh, it was a great car. It was in good shape. It had, didn't have a lot of rust on it. It was actually great body, low miles um, and, and everything. But it, the interior, this is not the interior of my car, but the interior needed a little bit of work. Uh, the headliner was falling down. The rug, I think, was ripped and stained. and and uh, And they, I think it had an AM-FM radio, but it might have been just an AM radio, to be honest. Yes, they used to make those and put them in cars. Just AM radio. So I needed to do a work to it. So I would go down in my afternoons, and I would go down to Holland's Junkyard down here in Bill Rica. Some of you, anyone been to Holland's? You had to go find a part there? Yeah, a couple times, right? Climb on those cars. I can't believe they let me climb all over those cars when I was a kid. They didn't have a 1978 Pontiac Catalina, but they had a 1978 Buick, which was pretty close. So I took all those parts off that Buick, brought them back, put them on my Pontiac, replaced the headliner, replaced uh, the rug and some of those things, and I drove that thing around for years, and it was great. I didn't really restore it. I've never really restored a car. I repaired it a little bit. But there's a big difference between repairing and restoring, isn't there? I do have a friend that restores cars. His name's Tim. I went to college with him. And he restores cars. Here's what a car looks like when Tim gets it and then when Tim finishes with it. Uh, He put this post up. This very early 65, it's a Mustang, came out of rust-free Riverside, California. It was a Korean War veteran's daily driver until parked in 1986, and now it's back on the road and back in black, Tim writes. As you can see, the restoration that took place there even shows what the engine looked like when he got it, um, and that 289 Mustang engine, if you know those, and uh, he restored that, and it looks, uh, looks beautiful, and then uh, just before that, I think that I may be wrong, someone may correct me, I think that's a 57 Bel Air, um, but he, uh, he restored that one as well. He does more than repairs them, he restores them. And the reason that sometimes cars need to be restored is because if you leave a car on its own for any significant amount of time, it will deteriorate. Uh, the metal will begin to rust, the fabric will begin to fade. If you really leave it, animals will begin to make a home in it. Some of you may have had that. I heard a story this week about a uh, uh, person that went out to their car and it was making, it started smoking and they couldn't, uh, they didn't know why. Uh, squirrels had been hiding acorns in the engine like hundreds of acorns. Like they had to take it to a mechanic to get the acorns out, acorns. So if you're not careful and you leave it too long, they will make a home in it. And things, not just cars, if you leave them over a serious period of time, they will deteriorate over time. They will downgrade. They will deteriorate. But cars aren't the only thing that break and deteriorate over time, are they? Uh, There's things, uh, all kinds of things. Our bodies break and deteriorate over time. Amen? Yeah, no one wants to admit that one, right? But it's happening. I don't care how much you brush your teeth or floss in the morning. They are deteriorating. It's depressing to me sometimes when I think about my body. I think about it sometimes like a car. If you've ever bought a new car, or even if you bought a car that's new to you, I always think the same thing when I drive off the lot. I have the same thought in my mind. I think this is as good as this car is ever going to look. And this is as good as this car is ever going to drive. It's all kind of downhill from here. And unfortunately, I kind of think that when I look at my body, and I'm kind of like, this is as good as it's going to get. I don't know. I mean, I suppose I could do some stuff, but I'm probably not going to. Um, (laughs) Let's be honest. If I haven't done it yet, it's kind of as good as it gets. And that's kind of what happens, right? But, but things are deteriorating over time, but it's not just our cars, it's not just our bodies, it's our world, But Our world, once pristine, is now broken, seriously broken, right? I mean, if you look around, I mean, I, we just talked about one story this morning of a, of a shooting in that church, but if we were to open up our news feeds and scroll through and share what's there, there'd be all kinds of stories of brokenness, All kinds of things that this world has deteriorated. You look at this world and you think of the 750 million people who live on less than $2 a day. You think of the tens of thousands of children who die every day of preventable causes. Not even the preventable causes. Uh, We think about the wars that are going on or the many places that are on the brink of war. And we realize that the world has deteriorated. It's broken. But it's not just the large world. It's our own world too, right? And we can look at our lives and our relationships and say they're not what we'd like them to be. There's brokenness that's there. They're not pristine They're not perfect. There's definitely problems that are there. So what do we do? Well, maybe we take the approach that I took with my Pontiac and we try and repair it. I think that's a lot of our approach sometimes. We try and repair it. We do our best to repair it in our own wisdom, in our own ways. And our world does that all kinds of ways. We we form committees and councils and organizations. Come together, try and say, okay, you fix that problem. We have money and foundations and funds and and we try and say, okay, you fix that problem. Come up with some kinds of solutions. We use paper straws and paper bags and we try and say we're going to fix this problem, this brokenness that might exist. We try and repair it. But all of our reparations, all of our repairing have not solved the problem. We still have a lot of brokenness. We still have a lot of brokenness in our world. We still have a lot of brokenness in our lives. We try and do it in our individual lives too. We come up with all kinds of ways. We, we watch television shows that are supposed to improve our lives and make them better. Or we watch ones that at least are of people's lives who are worse than ours and we can feel a little bit better about ours. I'm convinced that's what daytime TV is. It's, it's just shows of people that you can turn on and go, well, it's not that bad, so but we know there's brokenness and we know it needs to be fixed and we try and repair it, but our repairing doesn't work. And here I think is the problem. If you don't understand the extent of the brokenness, you won't understand how great a solution is really needed. If you don't understand the depth of the brokenness, you're going to settle for shallow solutions. And I think that sometimes how it happens with our repairing it, is we try and repair things that we see, but we really don't understand the depths of how broken things really are. So we end up cleaning up the outside, ending up with real shiny cars that have rusted and seized engines that don't go anywhere and are just nice lawn ornaments. And the reason that things aren't restored is because we never really understood how broken they really were. So where I want to start this morning with the depth is with the depth of our brokenness. I want to start, I want to read you a pastor's scripture from the very beginning of scripture from Genesis, from Genesis chapter 3, because that's really the beginning of the brokenness in the world that we see around us. God didn't create a broken world. He created a pristine world. He created a perfect world. He created a beautiful world. He created a garden. He put a man named Adam and a woman named Eve in the midst of it. And he gave them all of it. He created meaningful work, purposeful relationships, He created a perfect relationship with him and his creation, with humans and each other. The scriptures say that Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. And he created a perfect relationship with humanity and creation. He also created man and woman and gave them the greatest gift he could possibly give them, which is the ability to love, to love him and to love each other. And he did that by giving them free will and free choice because you cannot have love if it is coerced or it is forced or it is mandated or you have no choice not to love. That was the only way God could create something that is able to love. That is the only way God is, was able to create a part of his creation that is able to love him, experience love and love each other is by risking and being, making it vulnerable enough that it would be able to choose not to. And he gave men and women that gift to be able to experience love and to be able to choose not to. He did this by putting one tree in the midst of this beautiful garden and gave them the choice told them not to eat of it, don't, don't touch that one, don't eat that tree. And that was the choice, and that you have free will, you can if you want to. God was not going to forcibly stop them, but he was asking them to trust him, to love him, to freely choose not to eat of that tree, and by that, to exercise their free will to love him, and then to love each other. But if you know the account Uh, sin came in in the way of disobedience, in the way of men and women, Adam and Eve, saying, no, we think we know better. And ultimately at its root, if you've ever wondered what sin is, that's really what sin is. That's all it is. All it is, is uh, a person saying to God, I think I know better than you, and I'm going to go my way and not your way. And that's what sin is at its root. And Adam and Eve at its root saying, I think I know better. I'm going to go my way and not your way. And Adam and Eve reproduced. And we are the offspring of all that reproduction so many years later. And we are still doing the same thing. And so as a result of that, there was a curse. And in Genesis chapter 3 verse 14, the curse, think just the natural results of what happened. God told them not to do it. And so this pristine world became broken. And God says, the Lord said to the serpent, the form that Satan took when he tempted Eve, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, God said, I will surely multiply your, multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, God said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. And this is the curse that was brought on. And for us to understand the depths of the solution, we really have to understand the depths of the brokenness. And the reason repair, I think, doesn't work is because we often don't understand the depths of how much is actually broken. And what was broken in this passage, there are at least three things that are broken. Broken is the perfect relationship between humanity and God. God would come down in the garden prior to this and spend time and with man and woman in the garden and there would be perfect relationship, but as soon as sin entered in, it says that the man and the woman hid, as if you actually could hide, hid from God. And it also says that brokenness came in in the relationship between people, between the man and the woman, because it says after they sinned, their eyes were opened and they were no longer naked and unashamed. They realized they were naked and they were ashamed. And shame came in. And so they covered themselves. They made coverings for themselves. They hid from God and covered themselves from one another. And ever since then, men and women have been hiding and covering ever since and also the relationship with creation was damaged that no longer would the earth bring forth exactly what the effort that had been put in no longer would it be come out joyfully there would be thorns there would be thistles it would be difficult to work the ground the relationship with creation will be broken and men and women feel that today And so we look at the brokenness around us and we try and find all these solutions and let's try this and let's try that. But the real problem is that I think we have not totally understood the depth of the brokenness that is there and that repairing isn't going to fix it. And actually we need something even beyond restoration. So we come to our passage this morning in Colossians chapter 1. And what is it that God offers to us beyond repair and beyond restoration? It's found in Colossians chapter 1, and I'm going to read this morning verses 19 to 23 as we look at who is Jesus. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, this is talking about Jesus. So it starts out, for in him, and the hymn is Jesus. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. If indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. I think what Paul is saying here is our brokenness requires something beyond our repair, it requires even something beyond restoration. Saying what really is needed is reconciliation reconciliation. And the reason reconciliation is needed and not just restoration is because a relationship has been broken. And when a relationship has been broken, you need a relationship fix. And reconciliation is the relationship language that's used. You have brokenness in your relationship, in your marriage, or with someone that you are close to. You don't want it just repaired. You want to be reconciled. You want it made right. It's relationship language. When I talk with my kids and they've done something that needs to be corrected, they've done something they shouldn't do, when I talk with them, I often will tell them it's not what you broke, it's not what you did that's really the biggest issue. It's not just that you lied, you broke an item, you touched something you weren't supposed to touch, you you hit your sibling. That's not really the big problem. The real problem is that you have broken relationship. You have violated trust. You have dishonored that person. And now that relationship needs to be fixed. We can can fix what's broken. We can go buy and replace maybe what you broke. That's not not a big deal. The big deal is the relationship that's been broken. You need reconciliation. Reconciliation. And so when Paul in the letter to the Colossians is telling them who Jesus is, he's not just someone who repairs things. He's not just someone who restores things. He is the reconciler of all the broken relationships that you have in your life and in my life. He provides the way back to God that we need. We don't, we don't always accept it. In Fact, many people don 't, because <laughs> we often think we have to fix what we broke, and so we reject god 's help. It reminds me a little bit of um, a commercial i 've seen lately, and maybe you 've seen it. It's, um, I don't know if I, I don 't know if it 's an NFL commercial or not, but it has Baker Mayfield of the Cleveland Browns on it, and it talks about he 's taking care of his house and you know the stadium there in Cleveland. so Baker Mayfield, the quarterback. Is uh, there behind a little push lawnmower, and he's he's cranking it, trying to get that thing started, right? And he's because he says, you know, I got to cut my lawn, his his field there, and he's got this little push lawnmower, right? And then beside him, behind him, you got what I guess is the groundskeeper there at Cleveland, or at least an actor portraying the groundskeeper, and he's standing there with his hands in his pocket beside this giant tractor. And there's this huge like, piece of lawn equipment that looks like it could go across the field like three times and, and have it done. And Baker's here cranking on his lawnmower and, and, and the guy you know, says, you know, Baker, uh, you know, I can help with that. And, uh, and Baker, you know, he's there. He says, no, man, should cut his own lawn. And I thought, man, that's so much like us sometimes. Where God and all His power and all His glory and the Holy Spirit is there. You know, I could help with that. I could help with that brokenness in your life. I can help with that hiding and covering and shame, guilt. I can help with that difficulty. All those things you're trying to fix, and but we say, no, no, no. I got to fix it myself. I broke it. I'll fix it. Man should take care of his own lawn. A woman should take care of her own life. A man should take care of his own difficulties. No, I got it. And yet what Paul is saying is the depth of our brokenness is only gonna be fixed when we understand that Christ is the reconciler. We have broken something we cannot fix. And so God sent Jesus to us to reconcile us back. Real quick. This morning, in this passage, there's at least the reconciliation of Jesus, at least four things that are a part of it. I'm going to give it to you quickly. I'm going to run through them quick. They all begin with a P so I can remember it. Maybe it'll help you remember it too. So uh, if you want to write them down, uh, I'm going to run through them. Here it is. The reconciliation of Jesus is, first of all, pervasive, all pervasive. It says, all things. Say that with me. All things. All things. Whether in heaven or in earth, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. See, everything was broken. Relationship with creation, relationship with God, relationship with each other. And this passage, Paul is saying, look, all things will be reconciled. And you might say, well, how can you reconcile something that doesn't want to be reconciled? Isn't reconciliation consist of two people who want to find peace sitting around at the table? But aren't there people that don't want reconciliation? Aren't there spiritual powers in this world that don't want reconciliation? We call them demons. We call them uh, the devil. Those spiritual powers, they don't want reconciliation with God. So how can there be reconciliation with things when one party does not want reconciliation? Well, sometimes we think of the only definition of reconciliation is just finding peace between two people, but that's not the only one. The other definition of reconciliation is to bring harmony, balance, or to settle accounts. And the reconciliation we're talking about is that kind of reconciliation where God finally says it began with Jesus and the cross. It'll end when Jesus comes again, but all the accounts will be settled. And there'll be nothing that disrupts the peace in God's creation any longer. And those forces that have been allowed to roam free and rebel as they will will no longer be allowed to do so whether they be spiritual forces in heaven or men and women who choose to rebel, it's only for a period of time. Counts will be settled. And everyone gets, I believe C.S. Lewis was right, in the end, everyone gets what they want. If it is eternal separation from God that they want or eternity spent with God, I don't believe anyone will ever unfairly be sent to hell. I've heard it said just recently, someone I thought it was a good way to put it, that the the gates of hell are locked from the inside. People that are there don't want anything to do with God. They have rejected him, they have rebelled against him. And they're allowed to move freely now, but not always, it will be completely reconciled and harmony will come and accounts will be settled. In heaven and on earth, This creation that is suffering through no fault of its own, God created it perfect. But is suffering because of the curse will be restored through no choice of its own. God will restore it. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And those that follow the Lord and put their trust in him will dwell in this new heaven. And some people I know say, I've talked to some people who even say, I'm not sure I want to go to heaven. I'm not sure I want that reconciliation because we have got these silly, stupid pictures of heaven that get in our head. Because we let heaven be defined by toilet paper commercials. (laughs) That have little bears flying around on clouds playing harps with wings that sprout from their back. Or from cartoons or from some other thing defines what heaven is instead of allowing scripture and God himself to define what heaven is. And at some point, I think we probably need to do a series on what heaven is like. But my short answer, and I think I've shared it with you before, my short answer is always the same. Those things that you love here that bring worship from your heart and your mind to God have been created by God. The rose that is beautiful and smells wonderful. The chicken parmesan or shawarma or falafel or whatever it is you love and enjoy has been created and the pleasure to enjoy it has been created by God. The love that you feel in relationship with those that you love. The beautiful foliage that God has given to us in this part of the country at this time the pleasure that it brings and the praise that it erupts within us is from God and do you really think that the God who created all that is going to risk you getting to heaven and being like ah, it's not that great I think that was I, I was I preferred it back down on earth I mean do you really think I mean just think about it logically it makes no sense And God will remake and reconcile all things, and it will be the way that he intended it to be. It's all pervasive. I said I'm going to run through them quick, and I spent a lot of time on that one. (laughs) Second one, Jesus's reconciliation is personal. Say these two words with me. And you. It's not just the heaven. It's not just the earth. And you. You. Man and you, woman, and you, young person. Jesus has made a way to reconcile you back to God. Reconciliation is personal. The brokenness you feel in your life is real, but the reconciliation that Jesus offers you is personal, that you can be in relationship with a holy God through faith in Jesus Christ because God has made a way for it. Jesus will reconcile all people and settle all accounts, and you can be in relationship with a holy God through Jesus Christ because he has made a way for it. You can try and repair it in your own strength, but you're not going to be able to do it. The only way that it's done is through Jesus Christ. See, reconciliation is different than restoration. Not only because it's relationship language, but because reconciliation recognizes that there is something in the past that was and needed to be reconciled. Maybe it's easiest to explain if I put it this way, the risen Lord Jesus Christ that we see in the scriptures and his glorious body still had scars on his hands and his feet. See, restoration wouldn't have allowed that. It would have been completely new, right? But reconciliation is going to use the pain in order to bring glory and worship to God such that I am reconciled to God and for eternity I will praise God for saving me out of the situation that I had put myself in through no strength and no hope and no help of my own only through his goodness and grace. And so reconciliation will erupt in a praise even greater than restoration would. And you, He has made an opportunity to do that through faith in Jesus Christ. And you, who hide from God and cover from one another, he has made the opportunity to be free of guilt and shame and sin through Jesus Christ. Because reconciliation is personal. Because our sin is personal. Because you might sit here and you say, well, how come I have to suffer for this Adam's sin? Well, you don't have to. I mean, I'd argue theologically that we do, but you don't have to. We suffer enough for our own sins. I don't need Adam's. I've got enough of my own. And it's personal. And I need a personal reconciliation. And Jesus brings that. Thirdly, it's not only pervasive. It's not only personal. Jesus' reconciliation is purposeful. There's a purpose to it. He reconciles us in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach. There is a goal to what God is doing in your life. There's a reason you are still here in heaven. There's a mission and a purpose he has for you. And part of that mission and the purpose is that you would become more like Jesus. Is that you would grow not just in receiving salvation, but you would grow in sanctification. You all know what that word means, right? sanctification that's that's a word that means you don't stay the same you grow closer and more like God you become more sanctified and God has called you not only to receive salvation but to start a process of sanctification that you would become more the person that God has called you to be make no mistake about it you will never become sinless this side of heaven but you and I can sin less There are places in our lives where we need to bring under the control of God and give it to the Holy Spirit. And if you have the root of Christ in your life, you ought to have the fruit, even in bud form, of the Holy Spirit in your life. And we ought not to have people who sit in church all their lives and never grow in their walk and who they are in God. Salvation is offered, but sanctification is expected in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. It doesn't happen overnight. I'm not saying you come into church and give your heart to God. The next day, you're, you're, you've got victory over everything that's been difficult. No, it doesn't happen overnight. Usually happens. The way I usually see it is you, you look back in five years and you think, oh, you know, I started attending church. I started giving my heart to Jesus five years ago. And man, there's some things that are different now than they were then. Things that back then would take me, say, three months to get over. You know, someone wronged me, and I had a hard time forgiving them, and it took me three months to get over that and give, it, give them the forgiveness that I owed them. Now it only took me three weeks, and that's progress. Or maybe three days. Maybe it's down to three hours or three minutes because sanctification is happening because God is making you more like Jesus. Jesus things that you used to struggle with all of a sudden one day you wake up and you realize wow I did used to struggle with that but I don't even have a desire for it anymore because God removes it from you he removes the desire and the want for that and sometimes I would encourage you and this is a whole nother message but that's what needs to be our prayer God change my desires and my wants not my behavior change what I want So Jesus' reconciliation is purposeful. Final one, and maybe this P is a little bit of a stretch, but I needed a fourth P. The reconciliation of Jesus is preserved. And the scripture says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Paul puts a conditional statement in there. It's clearly a conditional statement. He clearly says, This is true. This reconciliation happens if you will stay stable and steadfast in what you have been called to. Because he was writing to a church in Colossians who were starting to be led away from the pure gospel. And he said, you need to stay faithful to that gospel. Do not let anyone lead you away He didn't reference it, but in light of what we've read this morning, I think it's very easy to say, do not let anyone lead you away the way the serpent led Eve and Adam away. Do not be led away from the truth that God has given you. Do not start putting anything else in life that you think is going to fix the problem because that's what was happening in Colossae is they were thinking, well, something else has to fix our problems. We need angels. We need something else. We need, you know, and, and sometimes we can start thinking that too. We need some other solution to repair this. And Paul is saying, no, all you need is Jesus. He presents a very high Christology to say, this is who Jesus is. He's the one that solves all of these problems. You're not gonna fix them yourself or through any other means. Jesus's reconciliation is preserved as you continue steadfast in what you have been called. We don't accept salvation without sanctification. There's no such thing. Salvation and sanctification go together. So you continue in this. You continue in growing in this. Maybe as I close this morning, one thing that would help us to understand the picture of all four of these is a parable that Jesus told. And I want to close with this parable this morning. It's a parable that Jesus told and it's recorded in Matthew chapter 22. I'm going to read it for you this morning. It's the parable of the wedding feast. And here's what Jesus says. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. So just a pause here. A lot of times in scripture, a wedding is the metaphor and the imagery that's used for the kingdom of God, for God calling. In fact, at the end of time is a wedding banquet, a marriage supper that's pictured uh, as God and his followers are all together there. So it's a wedding banquet that God is the king. The son is, of course, Jesus those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again he sent other servants, saying, tell those who were invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Pause there for a second. I might use the word reconciliation or settling of accounts. They got what they wanted, which is being away from the king forever. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. And here's the invitation God offers to reconciliation. See, the heavenly spirits in heaven that'll be brought back into reconciliation have already made their choice, presumably with full knowledge of God. Those who chose to rebel against God rebelled. Those who chose to stay with God stayed. We call one demons. We call one angels. Those accounts are settled. Those accounts are... Those eternities are determined. The earth, as I've mentioned was cursed through no fault of its own and will be restored through no choice of its own. But humans, you, men, women, have been invited to the banquet and you still have a choice of whether to come or whether not to come. So the king says, bring all those in who will. Send out the invitation. Go to the ends of the earth. Send out the invitation to whoever will come. And the banquet hall is filled. Then there's a twist that if you ever read this story, maybe it was confusing to you. Here's what happens next. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot cast him into the outer darkness in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called but few are chosen didn't see that one coming what is going on there they're all invited in this guy comes in and he's thrown out because he's not dressed right what's going on with that little background on wedding feasts is helpful when people were invited to a wedding and they didn't always have the clothes that would be required or expected at a wedding. So the wedding host would offer garments and expect his guests to wear the garments when they came into it. So that each one of them, even though they were just brought in off the streets, would have the appropriate garments to wear at a wedding to make the occasion appropriate and celebratory and everything else, even though they might not have owned such garments. So this one who was there without a garment, it wasn't that he was dressed wrong. It wasn't that he didn't bother changing into his nicer clothes, his Sunday best. It was that he had rejected the garment that was offered to him by the master. It was that he had accepted an invitation, but he had rejected transformation. Transformation. I'd like to come to your banquet. I'd just still like to come as and be myself. I would still like to come and have some control. I'd still like to be the one in charge of me. And so Jesus offers reconciliation. And he offers full and complete reconciliation. He offers salvation, but it comes with Transformation. And unless I am willing to submit to the transformation, I may not have truly accepted the invitation. Because that's what God is. He wants to change you into the person that He has called you to be. Jesus is the great reconciler. He has reconciled and will, He started in the cross, and He will in the end reconcile heaven and all that's involved in that realm, spiritual realm. He will reconcile earth, creation, and all that's involved with the brokenness there and fix it and it will be as he intended it to be. And you, and you. Today you have a choice. Serving him and coming to him or rejecting him. Rejecting the garment he offers, saying, No, I'm going to do it myself. I broke it. I'll fix it. But what Christ offers is reconciliation as far as the curse is found. We sing about it every Christmas, don't we? Song Joy to the World. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. That's the curse, right? Curse on us with sins and sorrow. The curse on the ground with the thorns. He comes to make his blessings flow. How far? As far as the curse is found. As far as the curse is found. All the brokenness in this world. All the brokenness in heaven and earth. And all the brokenness in your life. Jesus has come not just to repair, not just to restore, but to reconcile you in relationship back. For those of you who have committed to following Jesus, this passage ought to fill us with hope. Jesus is at work and he will complete his work. What has been broken will be made new, completely reconciled. This is what can encourage you this week as you see the brokenness in your world around you. God is not done. He began in the cross, but the work's not done. Don't lose hope. Don't give up. Don't think this is it. (sighs) Jesus is still at work in your life, in his world, and he will be victor over it all. He will settle all accounts and do not lose hope. But the other real question, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus is will you submit to being reconciled to God or will you keep trying to fix things yourself or will you keep trying to repair things and hoping that the next time fixes it, that the next solution is really gonna fix it or will you do something this morning different than you've ever done so that you can get a different result than you've ever gotten. Will you give yourself over and trust yourself to Christ and put your life in his hands and I ask you to bow your head and close your eyes as we close in prayer. And if that's you here this morning and you've maybe you've uh, come in here. And you have been trying to fix your life in your own strength. And you have been trying to reconcile this brokenness because you see the brokenness. I didn't tell you anything new this morning. You already know. You already know the world's broken. You already know your wife's broken. You got relationships that are broken all over the place. You already knew that. But what's news this morning and what is good news this morning? is that Jesus has come and died on a cross so that if you will put your faith and trust in him, that you might be healed, that you might be brought into right relationship with God, with each other, with his creation. Does it change overnight? God is at work changing it in your life, but it will change in an instant that you no longer need to hide or cover because you can put your faith in Jesus and know that God loves you and is in relationship with you and you are with him. And so if that's your desire this morning, you want to be reconciled with God, I'm not going to, I'm going to just want to pray with you and pray for you. I'm just going to ask you at this moment, if you just, that's your desire. You say, God, that's what I want. I want to be reconciled with you. I know I want to stop striving in my own effort. Stop trying to repair things. Stop trying to fix things. I'm tired of doing that and it's not getting the results I want. So God, this morning, I am going to throw myself completely on your mercy and grace and give my life to you and accept not just an invitation, but the transformation that you want to bring to my life. And if that's you, I just ask you to raise your hand to God and say, God, that's me. God, that's me. That's where I am right now. That's where I am today. And I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to do anything more than raise your hand and I might pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Hands going up. You say, Lord, that's me. I need you. I'm tired in my own effort. Thank you. I want to fall upon your grace and your mercy. God has not made it difficult. In fact, He has said that if we will come to him with an honest heart, confessing our sins, that he is faithful to forgive them. There's a little prayer on the back of your Connect card. You don't have to look there because I'm going to read it for you. And if you will pray this prayer with me with an open and honest heart, then you enter into that reconciliation with your holy God. And that relationship with him. Here's what it says. Thank you, God, for loving me. Sending your son to die for my sins. I repent of my sins and receive Christ as my savior. And now, as your child, I surrender my entire life to you. Lord, I thank you for each and every one of the men and women and young people who lifted their hand and said that's their desire today. They want to stop striving in their own effort. They want to trust you. And they want to continue in your path. They want to accept your invitation and your transformation. Lord, would you come in and do what you said you'd do. Inhabit their heart and their life. Make them more like Jesus. Make us more like your son. So that we might be healed as far as the curse is found. In Jesus' name. Amen.